Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Preparing for this episode, we laughed about the similarities to the experience at Disney World at Epcot, especially the reflection into the past and forward-thinking future plans. In so many ways, if medical providers from generations ago knew of the capabilities and advancements that were to come, jaws would fall open. What a timely conversation. We're pleased that the two of you took a moment to sit down with us today to discuss digital health and virtual care. Nick Sarantis, Director of Digital Health Services, Dr. Brett Oliver, Chief Medical Information Officer, thank you for joining us today. Before we get into the topics of discussion today, we'd love to introduce you both to our listeners. Dr. Oliver, tell us a little bit about yourself, your career as a primary care physician, and your role in administration with Baptist Health. Sure, sure. Thanks for having us. I grew up in Kentucky, primarily in Oldham County, and went to medical school at the University of Kentucky and did a family medicine residency at Wake Forest. Was out of state there for six years doing my training and my initial practice, and then my wife and I came back to Georgetown, Kentucky, outside of Lexington, and have been practicing there for the last 20 years or so. I sold my practice. I was a private practice and sold it to Baptist about 10 years ago, and at that time started taking on some minor physician leadership roles, uh, some administrative pieces. The big change for me came when my mentor and sort of boss at the time, who was our system CIO and CMIO in combination, asked if I would be the medical director for our EPIC implementation, our system-wide electronic health record rollout. And I was I was curious. Uh, the big change really for me was it took me out of the clinic four of the five days that I was used to seeing patients. And I took a leap of faith there and really fell in love with it. And when he retired about three and a half years ago, I was asked to take over his role as Chief Medical Information Officer, CMIO, for the system. And that's where I've been for the last three and a half years, continuing to see patients one day a week and doing administrative things for the hospitals and system all the other days. Great. Nick, I first met you at a Louisville City soccer game while you were in a role overseeing sports medicine and physical therapy for Baptist Health. Share with us about yourself, your movement through the organization, and your new role as the Director of Digital Health. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, yeah, make the uh, classic sports medicine to digital health career transition that so many people make. <laughs> so, yeah, from uh, Philadelphia originally, came out to, to Louisville actually to play soccer and got hurt a whole bunch at, at UofL and so obviously moved into sports medicine. Uh, started at Baptist LaGrange about 11 years ago as an outreach athletic trainer and then Things just kind of transitioned naturally from there as we opened, you know, more clinics, moved into kind of sports performance as well, and then just naturally moved into administration as the director of sports medicine. I get bored a lot, though, and so I had an opportunity to help with the transition from kind of a third-party vendor in virtual care to our own internal product, and I just had kind of light bulbs go off and said, this is something that's really interesting. Clearly, it's the 
future in a lot of ways, or it has a great future. Had no idea that a pandemic was coming, but could obviously see there was a great future in it and just kind of naturally moved into, luckily enough, was able to move into this role and had a really interesting first uh, six or seven months in the job. I'd say. Well, again, it's great to have you both joining us by phone today. We'll jump right in. With all the adjustments and learnings from COVID-19, we recently did a series with our CEO highlighting Baptist Health's response. Throughout this pandemic, we emphasized that virtual care became a really viable option for our patients, and it'll continue as we increase the accessibility of healthcare services. Dr. Oliver, can you tell our listeners about the impact we've seen in virtual care and our adaptation to the changing needs? Sure, yeah, it's been a huge impact. I'm really thankful that we already had some infrastructure in place and a roadmap, as Nick had sort of mentioned in his introduction. We had recently brought the ability to provide video visits for urgent care treatment in-house, and we had used that third-party vendor before. The reason that was important is having done that allowed us to pivot as quickly as we did because we controlled all the moving parts. Hmm. It was a Herculean effort for sure, but we had the opportunity to do so. I think virtual care has always held promise, and I think the Baptist leadership has seen the potential for some time, but it really wasn't until the pandemic when patients didn't have another option for care on of ongoing diseases that don't stop because of a pandemic. Virtual care was not just a, a viable option, but for many, the only option. Sure. And I know it's sort of an overused term of game changer, but it's really apropos here. You know, COVID forced us to look at virtual care as an organization in the future direction we wanted to go. And I think part of my job as a CMIO is to be looking over the horizon a little bit, what's coming to see if it fits our system strategy. And no longer really is it an over-the-horizon concept. It's here front and center. And we've probably experienced the world's biggest, quote, pilot for virtual care around the world in the last several months. And now we're able to really slow down just a bit and analyze what really worked well, what do we need to continue to work on, and what other use cases have emerged as our clinicians have had exposure to these technologies that they hadn't utilized before. Sure. The last week of May, Baptist Health developed virtual care solutions that provided 100,000 virtual care visits to patients. Where do we stand today? What are the numbers? Yeah, so if we look at e-visits, video visits, and telephone visits, which I know we'll kind of define later on, we're about over 125,000 visits in that time frame since early March. Wow. Oh, my goodness. E-visits, urgent care video visits, scheduled video visits— so much more planned. What can our listeners, who are our patients, expect next? What's the next phase and what's being planned? Yeah, so, you know, first I think it's important to note that we kind of took our strategic plan, you know, over three to five years and basically implemented it in three to five months. And because of that, we turned on a lot of things, broke down as many barriers as we could for both patients and providers. And so I think it's important to note our next phase is is really improving all these things Mm. because we launched so much so quickly. Now I think we need to go back and really ensure that this is a good product as we, as we can offer. And so from an ease of use perspective for patients, a customer service standpoint, adding digital clinical tools to improve the clinical effectiveness for the actual visit, Mm. training programs for providers and offices, Certainly, we're looking at, you know, remote patient monitoring things, artificial intelligence, a whole bunch of other things. But I'd say the biggest next phase is really just improving what we have so it's as good as possible. Before we move on, let's break down the services that you just mentioned for someone who is new to virtual care. Walk us through the three types of virtual care visits. 
They sound familiar, but they each have distinct function and purpose. What does each visit type entail? Let's start with e-visits. Yeah, so the vocabulary for this industry is not agreed upon by anyone. Health systems, payers, governmental agencies, they all differ in what they call things and how they define things, which does make it difficult. But for us, so an e-visit is an asynchronous, so not real-time, dynamic, so the questions change depending on your answers, evidence-based medical questionnaire, which which is patient-initiated, and then sent to a provider for review. Currently, we have about six problems, including a COVID screening questionnaire and some other common low acuity problems. However, just during the pandemic, I think the pivot is coming where we could see e-visits used a lot more for some chronic conditions. These e-visits can be submitted 24-7. A lot of primary care providers answer their own e-visits. And then if not, we've got a pool of virtual urgent care providers that can answer these visits as well. Very cool. So the next option most people probably associate with virtual care when they are just thinking of it is the urgent care video visit. Break down this service for us. Sure. And and yeah, to your point, even prior to COVID, we had a lot of independent companies out there, you know, Teladoc, American Well, even your own, you know, health insurance payers were offering this type of service. Mm -hmm. For Baptist Health, this is a 24-7 service staffed by a group of nurse practitioners in our virtual urgent care. You would log into MyChart, which is our patient portal through Epic, place yourself in virtual line. So just like you were walking into an urgent care, you just walk yourself into virtual line for this. Hmm. It's good for a lot of different things. We kind of focus on about 10 or 12 kind of different different type of problems. And the providers would see you just like a real urgent care for kind of first come, first serve. And, you know, from a Baptist patient perspective, there are a lot of options out there. But if you look at, you know, Baptist versus a lot of these other options out there, you know, you've got the ability to have your documentation shared with your primary care provider, that continuum of care built right into Epic, seeing uh, Baptist health providers is really an advantage for us. The 24-7 aspect is great. I mean, the convenience and access we're able to offer to patients is really a game changer, like you said, Dr. Oliver. Well, finally, explain a scheduled video visit to us. How does that differ from the urgent care video visit? Sure. So, you know, think of this just like a normal office visit with your provider. could be your primary care provider or a variety of specialists, except you're not driving to the office and sitting in a waiting room. At the time of your appointment, again, you go into my chart. You had this appointment scheduled already just kind of from a normal method. So you might have called the office and and just scheduled that appointment and go into my chart basically do an e-check-in, which is essentially kind of taking the place of doing some paperwork in the office, do a couple more clicks and wait for your provider or MA to join the video visit. And essentially, there you go. It it, it is pretty easy. Yeah. So they're both the video capability. One is just you schedule it ahead of time, like your normal doctor's appointment would be. And the other is you realize off the cuff that you need care and you seek that out real time. Yeah. Exactly. Kendra and I have had a few guests on recently from bariatric, primary care, specifically men's health, sleep center, and these clinicians have been utilizing this service as well with their patients. Well, beyond convenience and faster care, what are some of the other benefits of a patient taking advantage of this modality of care? Yeah, so, you know, first, just expanding on the convenience and faster care as far as what that really means for the patients in terms of their clinical care, because, you know, previously they might have had to take off work, find childcare, drive across town. And whether we're in a pandemic or not, maybe the patient is simply unable, unable to. And so they push off this care and the problem could get worse or puts off standard office visits and check-ins. And so 
the faster care allows the patient to really kick off their clinical journey much quicker. And so if other things are needed, you know, like diagnostic exams or MRIs or blood work, whatever it is, it really kind of kicks off the journey much quicker. And I think, you know, the times of, you know, stress of coming into the office and even for providers to see patients in their home environment sometimes can reveal, you know, interesting things. So patients coming into the office and getting their blood pressure checked or whatever it may be, maybe that's not really normal for them. And so being able to view them actually in their home environment and, and kind of take out all that, all that noise around getting into the office, I think, can sometimes reveal some interesting clinical things. Makes sense. Well, as Carrie mentioned, we've covered primary care, men's health, bariatrics, sleep disorders, and even behavioral health on this podcast. And all of these are offering virtual care to their patients in different capacities. Baptist Health now has over 700 providers providing virtual care visits compared to one provider before COVID-19. Can you both tell us what kind of lift did this require? What was happening on the back end to make all of this a reality? Yeah, I'll take that. I mean, some of this I'd rather not relive. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty crazy, but it's a good question. You know, our teams across the system, particularly in IT, but across the system essentially just dropped everything. You know, projects were put on hold and we worked seven days a week, seemingly nonstop on on these projects. Yeah. We had to get past some of our normal processes and procedures for the sake of speed. You know, mm-hmm. we had this immediate clinical need and we couldn't wait for our standard chartering and piloting and, sure. and certain testing, you know, et cetera. And, and I'll tell you, behind the scenes, it made a lot of our technical teams very uncomfortable. They have their normal checks and balances that produces a great product. And we had to, from a leadership standpoint, give them the confidence to say, hey, for the sake of speed, we understand this is not going to be perfect. And that's just not the way we like to operate. Yeah. But we've got to get this out there because of the needs for patient care. And then I'd say there's also behind the scenes a very concentrated effort from our training and support teams, you know, that helps patients and providers connect once the technical work was done. It can work just fine, but then you've got all the different parameters of patients' internet connectivity, the type Mm -hmm. of phone they have, what web browser they're accessing. And so it did take a lot of handholding that we continue to, to work on now. We'll be right back. Are you signed up for MyChart, Baptist Health's free patient portal? MyChart lets you access your health 24-7 online from your smartphone, tablet, or computer. MyChart allows you to view your test results, communicate with your provider, schedule a video visit or e-visit, refill prescriptions, and more. Sign up today by visiting mychart.baptisthealth.com. If it's about your health, it's on my chart. And we're back with Nick Sarantis, Director of Digital Health Services, and Dr. Brett Oliver, Chief Medical Information Officer. I think it would be beneficial to cover some of the common misconceptions associated with telemedicine for those patients who have not yet taken advantage of the accessibility. It costs too much. What's your response? You know, actually, right now, many health plans have waived even the copay for virtual care. And I think we all expect perhaps some changes over the next year to how this is reimbursed. I I think initially the health plans have been, as well as the government, have been encouraging us to continue down this road. I don't think that patients will find it any more expensive. And in many instances, it may be less 
there's no chart to or no cost to a my chart account and then there's also the softer costs that nick mentioned you know of drive time time from work childcare, sure. things like that that you don't have to worry about okay well, another one is technology is too confusing to use so can you explain the process yeah so you know, I think like anything, there, there's a learning curve, of course. And frankly, something we really continue to focus on is making the process to seek your care as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things in our process today that if you already have ahead of time, really makes the visit much easier. You know, so for example, if you already have a MyChart account, you already have the, that app downloaded on your phone. If you have the Zoom app downloaded on your phone. So that's kind of this pre kind of this precursor to the visit itself. So that can make things a lot easier. If you are trying to do it all at once, you know, five minutes before your visit starts, I can understand that the technology could feel a little bit overwhelming there. But I think just like anything, it's about, you know, taking it, taking it done in steps. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to note, just depending on when the listeners are actually listening to this episode, at the end of August of 2020, we will have a 100% dedicated MyChart help desk that will be available to help our patients walk through, screen share, answer questions, help them get set up for their video visit as well. So we're really going to make this process as easy as possible for them. That's great. Well, the next one that we hear a lot of times is it's not secure. So talk to us about how a patient's private information is protected. Sure. So, you know, our standard in, in Baptist Healthcare today, of course, is the use of Epic MyChart and in the HIPAA compliant license of Zoom. So I know there was a lot of media attention around Zoom in particular, especially right when the pandemic hit. And that was, you know, you had Zoom adding millions of users each and every day. You know, you had school systems, you had all sorts of people that had to pivot so quickly. And so Zoom was really struggling to kind of keep up with what was going on there. And so I think it's just important to note that not every Zoom account is created equally. You know, a lot of those kind of Zoom hackers and things like that were jumping into free accounts without passwords on the meetings. And so for us, you know, we're making sure that we're using the HIPAA compliance source of Zoom and as well as just things funneling through our Epic EHR and MyChart, which again is just it's just a very secure platform. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think one of the the final misconceptions we hear is care providers can't fully examine what they need to know over a video visit or an e-questionnaire. What assurances can you offer? You know, I think that's certainly true. And there are likely always going to be problems, at least for the foreseeable future, that require an inpatient visit. But there's much that we can do without being in person. You know, observing as a family physician is something that I've always done in the exam room and is tremendously valuable. And I think perhaps as a patient, you might undervalue that that piece of what we do, mm. but it's where a lot of information is gathered. And then patients can also supply you with some exam findings that we would normally do ourselves. You know, can you press here and does it hurt where maybe we would have done that ourselves in the office? In addition, we're looking at other technologies to supplement the home experience from an exam perspective that are pretty exciting. So I think I would say stay tuned there. I think more to come. Interesting. Well, in our roles, Carrie and I get to see a lot of questions from patients on various digital platforms, including social media. Let's get into some of the specifics. Nick, can I get a prescription written or refilled via virtual care and do insurance cover visits? We kind of touched on that a little bit, but let's dig into those two common questions. Sure. Yeah. So if a prescription is deemed clinically appropriate, then it would be prescribed. You know, I think this is, you know, kind of one of those times where in, in again, three to five years, we're not going to be focused so much on digital health or telehealth. It's just going to be healthcare. Mm. And so if a prescription is, is needed clinically, then it will be prescribed. 
there's some limitations, of course, on narcotics and different things like that. But overall, yes. In terms of refills, it definitely can happen. You know, go through your primary care physician, not necessarily the urgent care side of things. And, mm-hmm. and patients can use their MyChart just to request refills for regular medications as well without even scheduling a video visit. So we have that option as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of insurance, like Dr. Oliver mentioned, there were some limitations pre-COVID. Kentucky, we were a little bit ahead in terms of being a parity state. So payment parity and coverage parity is is kind of what the legislation was saying in Kentucky. So basically it was stating that if we pay for it in person, then you should pay for it via video as well. But once COVID happened, a lot of waivers happened very, very quickly and waivers on top of waivers even happened. And so reimbursement really is there at this point. There are some co-pays being waived, so that, so it even makes it more attractive in some regards. But yes, insurance is, is paying for it and we see that as not really changing. I think there is going to be some a lot of data being reviewed over the next couple of months, both by Medicare and, and private payers to see how all this technology is being used. But many people in the government and other players have, you know, kind of the quote has been the genie is out of the bottle and it's going to be really hard to put it put it back in in the future. Sure, sure. Can new patients use virtual care or do they need to be established with the practice? You know, we're working towards allowing new patients to Baptist Health access to our virtual care. Uh, but currently, we only offer the options to established patients. You know, not to get too technical, but the functionality that we're building out to allow new patients involves what's called patient matching, and to be essentially to be sure the correct information gets to the correct chart. Where you know you may be new to seeing a Baptist Health, say, primary care physician, for instance, but you actually have a chart because you've had another service at one of our facilities, say an X-ray, okay. and we have to make sure that that data gets linked together into one chart. But that said, we, we know that's a huge need and we're actively looking to provide that solution hopefully in the next few months. That makes perfect sense. What if the determination is need that a patient needs a procedure? Obviously, things like blood work, imaging, or interventional treatments can't be accomplished virtually. However, I think virtual care remains a great option for the treatment of many conditions and is certainly an effective triage tool. Explain the relationship between virtual care and subsequent intervention and treatments. Yeah, so, you know, the virtual provider always has the option to recommend that a patient be seen in person or triage them to an appropriate level of care. That happens daily. I'll see that with my own patients where I see that they tried to do a video visit and the person handling it said, you know, you, you really need to go to urgent care or mm-hmm. the ED or follow up with perhaps me in the office. Okay. But as, you know, as we mentioned earlier, new workflows are emerging and I can see emerging in my practice an alternation between types of visits between, for instance, like you're seen in the office for a particular problem medications prescribed, lab work's done, et cetera. And then the follow-up visit is done virtually to see how you're doing. We're also then looking to see what services we can extend to the home to keep a patient from having to travel to the office or a hospital facility. And I really think the future direction is that continued high quality of care, but then also trying to do it in as convenient and safe a manner as possible. Let's talk now about an umbrella term that includes our virtual care services, digital health. It's a term adopted to differentiate between traditional practice of healthcare and the newer, interactive, and accessible services that we're leaning into. It encompasses wearables, remote monitoring, diagnostic solutions. Is that right? Is that a reasonable description? Yeah, I think that is reasonable. You know, the biggest thing with the term is that digital health is so much more than just one thing. It's not just a video visit. It's not just an e-visit. But it's the interplay between all of these different technologies that help enable patient care. One of the first things I actually did when I when I took the role was try to come up with a 
internal definition that at least Baptist Health could use. And so hmm. our internal definition is the convergence of technology and healthcare that enhances and expands delivery, personalizes medicine, connects populations, and engages patients in their own well-being. Oh, wow. So I think, uh, yeah, I think your description was right on. That's great. So digital health really encompasses a lot of different healthcare solutions. As you mentioned, I think what causes confusion is sometimes that terminology. So let's break down the difference between telehealth, telemedicine, and virtual care. This is very true, and it makes it really difficult for health systems, patients, and providers to navigate because of this. Essentially, there is no difference between the three things you mentioned. They're used interchangeably all the time, and uh, it's quite frustrating, to be honest. (laughs) uh, You know, telehealth, I'd say is generally the most recognized term in terms of regulatory guidelines and payer policies. However, even this varies state to state. You know, for example, Indiana, telehealth is defined as remote patient monitoring, which makes it a little bit confusing because remote patient monitoring usually has its own kind of carved out definition. Yeah, I think virtual care is getting more and more use in the market. And Mm -hmm. frankly, I, I think it makes more any sense versus a, you know, quote unquote, tele, you know, anything is... You know, generally we're talking about video and, and not telephone is kind sure. of the focus for, for virtual care. So there's lots of work here. No one has taken kind of the reins to say these are the definitions. And so we try to come up with kind of our own internal ones and, and really just try to use what the technology is that that we're using. If you know, if we're if we're using video, let's let's just say video and kind of cut out the the tele aspect of it because it kind of doesn't make that much sense, honestly. Yeah, I think we're still in that pioneering phase, right, nationwide. I mean, I think people are still all trying to learn and get up to speed on this. And so it makes sense that there's not a universally accepted terminology or definition. But I like what you said, cutting out the ambiguity and just calling it what it is. Well, Carrie mentioned remote monitoring as part of our digital health umbrella. And current health is something we've discussed in a prior episode on this podcast, For those of you who missed it, it's a device that takes and transmits patients' vital signs, so temperature, heart rate, respiration, blood pressure, oxygen saturation levels, back to the provider. The 148 units are being utilized in Metro Louisville, Lexington, Richmond, Madisonville, and Paducah. Tell us a little bit more about this technology and some of the successes with the 30 patients who have been served. Yeah, so we're up to 38 patients now, and the device is really allowed our hospital providers to have an additional level of confidence when they feel like they're ready to send their COVID positive patient home. You know, this is, this whole illness is so new and we're learning as we go. And so the tendency for say a hospitalist that was discharging a COVID patient is, you know, maybe I should hold on to him for a day or two longer. This has given them the confidence that, look, we're going to continue to to look after the patient even after they're sent home. You know, and moreover, I can tell you from speaking with one of my own patients that unfortunately was admitted with COVID but went home with the current device, it gave her a level of comfort knowing that she was being watched over at a very scary time. There's so many unknowns. Yeah, we know that home health had been a pioneer of this and that it was originally useful in the monitoring of COPD patients. But we've mentioned that it's being used in COVID discharges. Are there other service lines that are well-suited for this? Yeah, we are starting to pivot back to, to the, uh, the more traditional uh, service lines that we had started using the device for. I think right now it probably best suits cardiology for diseases like congestive heart failure, as well as the pulmonology, the COPD emphysema patient, primarily because the data for effectiveness is most prevalent here, which makes it a little bit easier for payer and government acceptance 
but the potential to expand into other areas like orthopedics, primary care, oncology is really quite great. Whether it's an infusion that you would get, chemotherapy infusion for a cancer patient that typically would require you to stay in the hospital because you needed to be monitored, that maybe you could get that done at home. There's ongoing studies there. Wow. Or the total joint replacement where the device could be used to remind patients to do their exercises, to mobilize, and almost be a, for the physician to, to know whether or not the patient's being compliant or not with their over, and their overall health status of these joint replacement patients. And for those who might have missed our prior episode on current health, this is not like a Fitbit. This is actually ICU-level monitoring at your home via a wearable device that looks much like a cell phone. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, it's very advanced technology. Yeah, we heard about a success story of a woman whose life was saved in Western Kentucky, I believe. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. So of course, with any advancement, especially one of this scale, there are going to be some challenges and lessons learned along the path to success. What obstacles are there to greater, better use of technology in healthcare? What are some of the challenges to achieving such a massive implementation in such a short period of time? Well, I think there's still, you know, buy-in both from the patients to wear the device early on prior to COVID. If you don't have a nurse that's placing the device and instructing the patient that's relaying that, hey, this is a continuing part of your care rather than just something you go home with, you know, there's a lack of understanding of just the whole care process. So I think buy-in to the patients to wear the device, continued buy-in from providers that this is actually advancing the quality of care as it's still a new process to many, working through the different workflows of this new process, who is monitoring, what information is relayed to the physician, what can the nurses do? That was the biggest part of that project and continues to be, you know, a very complex area. And then, you know, payment for services. Realistically, we have to be sure the cost of the devices and the monitoring is either covered directly from the insurance companies and payers or something that allows us to reduce costs to where we can absorb the cost of the devices. Makes sense. And we're probably seeing that same need for buy-in in on the virtual care side too, as people are used to coming in and going through their traditional show up to the office, check in, sit down. They're used to that that routine. I imagine that we saw some hesitance, especially from people who are not used to utilizing technology in that way. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, digital health has been around in some capacities for many years, but the pandemic certainly increased the demand for these services and the need to make them available at mass scale. Talk about some of the regulatory changes that the telehealth industry as a whole has seen in recent months and years that has allowed greater access and has moved the service forward. Yeah, you know, Nick and I talked throughout the pandemic process as these barriers are being knocked down one by one to being able to offer these digital services, we would say, you know, well, that helps a lot. Now, if they would only eliminate this requirement, literally the next week that barrier would fall. (laughs) Kentucky was really well positioned having the pay parity law that went into effect summer of last year. But site of service, payment regulations, the ability to use a telephone call and count it as a video visit for those patients that didn't have the equipment to connect or have the broadband internet to allow it to happen. Some will have internet but it's really not fast enough to, to support a video call. Okay. So it's, it's encouraging to see that, at least from all appearances, as Nick mentioned earlier, a lot of the government officials, representative centers, et cetera, really feel like this is the direction the country needs to go, and those changes are likely here to stay. I will make a note that many of them, I'd say over 50%, require some congressional action to make permanent, and so it's good to see there's some proposed bipartisan legislation being proposed in Congress And we hope to see some action when they return to session uh, July 20th. 
Sure. Well, before we wrap up, Dr. Oliver, if there was one thing you would want a listener to take away from our conversation today, or one thing you would want them to act on or know, what would that be? I would just want to leave the audience with the excitement of the things that are to come in the digital space. You know, there's just going to be more and more opportunity to do things with great quality and personalization for patients in the near future. And I'm really excited to be part of an organization that gets that Mm. and wants to further our efforts in this area. I really think the best is yet to come here. Sure. Nick, same question to you. Yeah, I would just say with all the focus, it's amazing what can happen if everyone is rowing in the same direction. Mm. And that's not just from a health system perspective, but also if you look at look at Silicon Valley and if you look at where investment is happening into the technology and devices, there's going to be so much innovation over the next couple of years that we're really excited as a health system to be part of that innovative front and to partner with companies in the future, hopefully to provide not just what the best care is available today, but, but almost trying to figure out what the best care is going to be in the future and, and being part of that innovative space to be able to be able to offer the best thing possible to our patients and providers. It'll certainly be fun to watch. Yeah, it was a pleasure having both of you join us today on the phone. Thank you for your time. Thanks for tuning in today. The landscape of healthcare has certainly seen massive change in innovation, especially this year. And we hope this episode helped explain where we've been, how far we've come, and where we're headed next. To learn more about Baptist Health's virtual care services, visit baptisthealth.com slash virtual care. And stay up to date with the latest happenings by following along with us on social media and subscribing to this podcast. We'll be back next time, bringing you more health and wellness news that matters to you. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health, be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.